So the terms processed and ultra-processed are used in the health and wellness space to describe certain types of foods based on the processing that they've undergone. There are a number of problems with these terms when used to describe food, uh, especially since most people associate processed food with being unhealthy, bad for you, junk, toxic, stuff that we should restrict and avoid. Uh, at best, these terms are vague and not particularly helpful, but in many cases, referring to foods in this way negatively impacts our relationship with food. I'm Jeff Ash, certified nutritionist, personal trainer, and intuitive eating coach, and you are listening to the Men's Intuition Podcast. We've all heard of women's intuition, right? Well, men have intuition as well. Intuition is so important when it comes to feeding ourselves and our families in our challenging food environment. This podcast explores a variety of topics related to a powerful, evidence-based eating framework called intuitive eating that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. My hope is that it will help you finally break free of the perpetual diet cycle. This is the Men's Intuition Podcast. All right, so intuitive eating is an evidence-based self-care eating framework that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. Its strengths really lie in its ability to help individuals and families transform and, in many cases, heal their relationship with food, all without restriction, guilt, shame, and negative consequences that we typically see in dieting. I want to preface the remainder of this episode, though, by saying that what I'm talking about today really applies to those who have kind of already reached a pretty good place when it comes to uh, the principle of making peace with food or unconditional permission to eat. You know, if you're new to intuitive eating, you may want to save this episode for later because some of what I'm going to be talking about today can really interfere with the process, uh, especially if you're still working on that unconditional permission to eat, uh, you know, and, and if you're still viewing certain foods as good and bad and healthy and unhealthy or still really struggling with restriction. This one is a short discussion on the topic of processed food, but I'm approaching it from the perspective of general nutrition and how it can impact our appetite regulation, really. Uh, I, I want to focus most of the conversation on three of the 10 principles of intuitive eating, and those being honoring your hunger, feeling your fullness, and then gentle nutrition. All right, so what is processed food or ultra-processed food? Well, according to a paper by Montero and colleagues in 2018, Ultra-processed foods are what they call formulations mostly of cheap industrial sources of dietary energy and nutrients, plus additives using a series of processes and containing minimal whole foods. So you can already see why I said, if you're still thinking in this restrictive mindset, this good-bad food mindset, that even just the short description from one of these papers talking about processed food is already very uh, negative towards certain kinds of foods, just the language in there just makes those foods sound horrible, doesn't it? Well, uh, the, the NOVA diet classification system is another system that's used in research uh, to classify different foods that are being studied. And it takes into consideration the nature, extent, and purpose of processing in the way that it categorizes foods and beverages into four different groups. So it classifies them as unprocessed or minimally processed, uh, processed culinary ingredients, processed foods, and then what they call ultra-processed foods. So today we're going to be talking about these ultra-processed foods. Now, it's important to note that several qualities of ultra-processed foods really make them difficult to replace in the diet. So regardless of, of what you think about them, we, we can't just get rid of them. And especially in the diet of certain demographics, in particular, those people living in food deserts, maybe at lower income levels, elderly, those with chronic illness or disabilities, those kinds of things. These processed foods, these ultra-processed foods 
are an important part of the diet in many cases for many people. And so we need to keep that in mind. Uh, and, and it's because they're inexpensive. They have long shelf life. They're pretty safe from a microbiological or, or germ perspective. You know, they're clean foods. They, they don't have, you don't run the risk of, of getting a disease from them or, or them being spoiled generally. Uh, they're, they're actually important because they provide important nutrients because many of them are not only nutritious on their own to a certain extent, but they're often additionally fortified above and beyond their standard nutrient makeup. Think about breakfast cereals. You know, a lot of those are fortified with additional vitamins and minerals and things that often are lacking in the average person's diet. Also, they're highly convenient. Often they're ready to eat or ready to heat up so that they're, they're very convenient for people who have a very busy life or a lot of disruptions in their life, maybe a single mom, a single dad, those kinds of things, maybe a, a, a child that's struggling with certain illnesses or a neurodivergent child with, uh, who's autistic or has ADHD and those kinds of things that can introduce new challenges into a family uh, situation. Maybe you're caring for an, an elderly family member or something like that. All of those things when you have these convenient food items available, it can really take the pressure and certain stress off of certain areas of your life. So it's important. They, they play a very important role in the lives of many, many people in our society and not just people who are economically uh, challenged as well. I mean, it, 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 in all facets of and all aspects of our society. Now, that's still a bit vague, though, right? Um, in the interest of clarity, though, here are a few examples, some specific examples from a recent uh, randomized control trial, or RCT, that I'll be talking about here in just a minute. Uh, so in this, in this study, they looked at the difference between a, an ultra-processed food diet, entirely ultra-processed food versus an entirely minimally processed food, and we're going to talk about what they found and, and then how to apply that. but when they talk about the ultra processed food diet, one of the things I liked about the study is they actually included photographs of each meal that was served. And so we can see exactly what they're talking about. So it's not vague, you know? So basically we're looking at things like breakfast cereals, which I happen to love personally, ate this morning, just so you know, uh, packaged pastries like muffins, cupcakes, honey buns, you know, you get the idea there, candy, potato chips, Doritos, crackers, those kinds of things, uh, canned foods like ravioli, Soups, fruit, corn, uh, packaged meats like sausage, salami, lunch meats, those kinds of things, white bread, um, boxed and frozen meals, those kinds of things. So you get the idea. So that's what they're talking about when they're referring to ultra processed foods. So many of you may be saying, well, I eat a lot of that and that's fine. And, and again, the point of this is not to say these foods are bad or you should cut back. It's to help you understand how they interact in the body and how you can apply that knowledge to your gentle nutrition as you approach your diet. All right. So do you see why I said that if you're still working on unconditional permission to eat and allowing all foods in your daily eating, that this episode could be problematic? Um, you know, I literally just listed the foods that we tend to view as bad under a typical diet culture and, 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 and referring to them not just as processed, but ultra processed, right? So, so it's, it's, it, it, Again, it, it can, if you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable with this, again, based on where you're at and your relationship with food, you can always come back to this episode later. All right. So um, 
I do want to pause though before we go any further to just emphasize that none of these foods are bad or unhealthy in and of themselves. As a nutritionist with a lot of education, experience, and time spent reading the primary research in this area, I personally eat all of these foods. I'm comfortable eating all of these foods. Not every day or every meal, sometimes more often, sometimes less often, uh, but they play an important role in my in my diet. They're they're convenient. They're inexpensive. They're they're often just what I need at that moment. Some a lot of times they taste just really darn good and it's enjoyable and satisfying. None of these foods are poison, toxic junk, or or something to be avoided, as you've likely heard from your favorite memeologists or you know, your Google happy friends and family, maybe even your GP who literally had only a few hours of nutrition education during med school, that kind of thing. Uh, my purpose for this episode is again just to talk about these foods in the context of appetite regulation, gentle nutrition, emphasis on gentle. All right, so back to our discussion, enough of the preamble and qualifications and disclaimers and all that stuff. So as I mentioned a moment ago, I, I read a lot of research and I love to stay up to date on the latest in the area of nutrition, health, fitness, strength training, body image, all those, all those areas are really interesting to me. Uh, there was a really interesting paper by Kevin Hall and his team at the NIH in, in 2019 where they carried out a randomized control trial to to try to identify whether there is a causal role of ultra-processed food on energy intake. So that is, does ultra-processed have any impact on how much food we consume? So it's important because there have been studies done in this area before, but they weren't these RCTs, they are tightly controlled uh, studies. They were more of associations and relationships and, and there was no cause, uh, you know, no causal relationship could be determined from them. But what they found was really interesting in this one. So to keep things simple, here are some of the highlights of this study. So they had 20 inpatient adults that received an ultra-processed, an entirely ultra-processed diet, and then an unprocessed diet, each of those diets for 14 days. And that was what was cool. So each of the 20 participants did one diet for 14 days, and then the other diet for 14 days. So they they uh, were able to compare each individual person, not only with the group, but within themselves as well. And this was, as I said, an inpatient study or what they call a metabolic ward study when they're doing it in the, in the nutrition world. And this means the patients were locked away, tightly controlled. They were able to monitor and manipulate every variable when it came to the food that they were consuming. They're able to measure all of that, measure their exact energy expenditure, and prescribe certain amounts of energy expenditure for each person. So they're able to manipulate the variables and take those into account in a way that you just can't do when people aren't locked away. So obviously, that's one reason why it's a small number, 20 people, and also for relatively short period of time. Uh, but the diets were matched for calories, sugar, fat, fiber, and the macros, protein, fat, and carbs. And that was what was also really interesting. So you couldn't say, well, this was a higher protein diet or a higher fat diet or higher fiber, or there wasn't any fiber. They matched all of that, which made it really interesting. So they were able to compare things much, much closer. And the participants rated them uh, really equally appealing and satisfying, which was, which was important too, because you could imagine, well, yeah, if you gave them pizza and and burgers and fries and stuff all the time, then that's going to be, you know, of course, they would eat more of that than they would just salads and vegetables and that kind of thing. But in fact, what they did is they they uh, were able to find that they the participants equally enjoyed that, which is also interesting because as we 
have talked about in previous episodes, who wants to eat pizza and burgers all the time, right? <laughs> so anyway, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent. But um, also the participants had no idea what the calorie or macro content of the foods were. And, and they were able to eat as much or as little as they wanted. So they call this ad libitum uh, in the research world. So uh, being an inpatient or metabolic ward study meant that the researchers could monitor and track precise energy intake and expenditure, as I pointed out earlier. So what they found in all of this through this study was that ad libitum intake, so intake just they were able to eat as much or as little as they wanted, was about 500 calories a day more on the ultra-processed versus unprocessed diet. And this was consistent among all the participants and within the group. So it's a pretty important and interesting finding. And it did, in fact, uh, show a pretty good causal relationship here. Now, if you hang out in fitness circles or follow various you know, fitness influencers and that kind of thing on social media, you, you may have heard about this study. Uh, I can't tell you how many times... Uh, coaches and and influencers were talking about this especially when it first came out in 2019 and i want to talk about this from the perspective of intuitive eating though where we're not focusing our attention on changes in body weight or fat mass or calories that kind of thing rather we're we're interested in nourishing our bodies and taking care of them and meeting our needs both physiologically and emotionally and psychologically and socially and eating in a way that feels good for us as an individual right so that's definitely different than the angle most of the fit pros take. So uh, I'm coming at this from a little bit different perspective here. All right. So now that we understand what that study found and, and kind of how it was structured a little bit, um, I have a few more points. I have a few points that I'd like to make, uh, as well as some ways that I think we can apply these findings without really reverting back to diet mentality, restriction, or bringing those food rules that you know we fought so hard to ditch back in <laughs> into our thinking. All right, so some of the points that, that came up here for me were, uh, I don't doubt these findings at all. Uh, some people might, but I really don't. Kevin Hall's an excellent researcher. He's the one that, that uh, conducted this study, and he puts out really high-quality studies that use solid methodologies for the most part. I have experienced this firsthand, um, the findings of the study. I have seen this play out in clients. For example, if I eat a muffin or a donut or donuts <laughs> um, and a protein shake for breakfast, as you know, as one example, I tend to be hungry sooner than if I eat scrambled eggs and oatmeal. Maybe you're different. I'm just saying this is this is me personally, and I, I see this in a lot of clients as well. Even if the calorie content of the protein shake and donuts is much, much higher than the less processed eggs and oatmeal, I still see this tendency. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that our bodies compensate for different foods in different ways when it comes to hunger and satiety. You know, it compensates for the calorie content of the foods, but sort of the makeup of the foods as well. Uh, some of that's based on the macro and fiber content, but it appears that processing can impact this too. Because as I pointed out in the study, when they were comparing the ultra processed food diet to the processed food or minimally processed food diet, they they were matched for for the macros and calories and fiber and those kinds of things. Now, the second point that stood out to me was, you know, because of the nature of how you need to construct a, an RCT, this study compared the differences when participants ate an entirely ultra-processed diet, every meal, every snack, versus an entirely minimally processed diet. Again, every meal, every snack. And most people don't eat this way, right? Uh, 
I mean, it doesn't matter. The, the cleanest of clean eaters doesn't typically eat this way. For example, you might prepare oven-baked chicken, maybe, and then mac and cheese, and then some mixed vegetables, and then maybe a dinner roll. So that's a combination of ultra-processed foods. And maybe the dinner roll was whole grain, so it would be considered more minimally processed. So, you know, all these kinds of things that we, how we make up the components of, of our meals, uh, that's not entirely processed or minimally processed, right? It's a mix. And that's just one meal, right? So when we hear about finding like these in the media, we need to understand how research works, the methods they use, what it does and doesn't tell us, and how the findings truly apply to free living people not locked away in a metabolic ward. Because it's really easy for us to take these findings and say, oh my gosh, ultra processed food makes me eat more. Okay, well, I shouldn't have any. It's like, no, no, that's not what they're, that's not even what the study found. The study found if you only eat ultra processed foods and, or if you only eat minimally processed food, there is this observed difference. But again, most of us don't, even those most economically challenged probably still don't eat a completely ultra processed diet. I mean, I'm talking, you know, there, of course, there are exceptions to this, but I think you get where I'm going with that. Uh, this study was looking at cause and effect also. That's, an, that's the third point that stood out to me. It never intended to inform us how we live our lives as individuals, nor was its purpose to make broad general nutrition recommendations. We always need to keep studies within their intended scope and context, which is unfortunately not what the media and influencers like to do. So keep that in mind too. This was, they were looking at a specific thing here, a specific relationship, a cause and effect to see if there was something there. But again, you can't take that and then immediately say, make these broad, generalized recommendations. Because again, depends on where you are in your relationship with food. What does your body need? And I'm going to talk about some of these things here in just a moment. So, you know, there's certainly more points I could make about this paper, but I want this episode to be reasonable in length. <laughs> so you can thank me later. All right. So can we apply these findings in the context of feeding ourselves, our relationship with food and intuitive eating? I think we can. And I had some, some practical ways that I apply this in my own eating and that I also will help clients apply this, whether I bring up this paper or not. Uh, some of these are, are recommendations that I suggest to different people at different times. Again, it depends on where they are in their relationship with food, what we're working on together and that kind of thing. But so uh, the first point that first point of application that I thought I would bring up was don't fall back into thinking certain foods should be restricted, eliminated or avoided. That's my number one <laughs> thing here. Um, you know, how'd that work out for you last time that you did that? Right. Need I remind some of you of the issues with emotional eating, binge eating, guilt, shame and all that crap that you worked so hard to get past? Don't go back there. It didn't serve you well then. It's not going to serve you well now. And honestly, this paper has nothing whatsoever to say about whether these foods are good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. That's another point that we need to take from this. This paper observed you tend to eat more if you only eat in this way versus this way, right? You tend to eat more calories. That's all it, that's, that's what it found. It did not speak to the healthfulness of either diet. It didn't speak to the healthfulness of the individual foods that were on the menu. Again, what do these findings tell us and not tell us? That's important. In many cases, certain ultra-processed foods are highly nutritious. A good example of this is 
is that other research has shown canned vegetables, as, as an example, are equally nutritious as their fresh counterparts, yet they're considered ultra-processed because of the way they're stored and canned and everything. So keep that in mind, too. Just because something is ultra-processed doesn't mean that it's not nutritious. Often, ultra-processed foods can be more nutritious than their minimal, minimally processed counterparts. All right. Number two, understanding how certain foods might impact our hunger and satiety can really help inform food choices in certain contexts. You know, going back to the protein shake and donuts versus scrambled eggs and oatmeal example, you know, if you have a, a busy morning and may not be able to set aside much time for a sustaining substantial snack later on in the morning, uh, you may opt for a less processed yet still satisfying breakfast, you know, knowing that it will serve you better on this particular day. You, because you're applying, again, the principles of general, gentle nutrition, you're applying your knowledge and your wisdom that you've gathered in being curious and observant about how different foods make you feel and how they sustain you. So you're taking that knowledge, you're applying it uh, based on what you know is coming down later on in the day. Remember that intuitive eating in, incorporates this instinct, emotion, rational thought. And we can use science, our gut instinct, and our emotions as we choose the foods that we eat. So keep that in mind as, as we uh, think about this. So the third one was we can use this information to help us fuel ourselves and our kids, you know, if we're involved in some kind of high level of physical activity. You know, minimally processed foods are harder and slower to digest. If you know you're going to need a, a lot of energy for a particular activity, but can't imagine eating enough whole fruit, vegetables, whole grains, lean meat, and all of that to provide the energy for that. Or maybe it's coming quite soon and you're concerned about how quickly your body's going to digest that, that heavy meal. An ultra-processed meal, drink, or snack can be a fantastic option. Often it's actually the best option, in fact. And I do this myself before I go to the gym in the mornings. I drink a highly processed whey protein shake because it doesn't take any effort on my body's part to digest it. Sometimes I'll eat maybe a piece of fruit or, but I, oftentimes I eat only this very highly processed stuff before I go to the gym because I don't like that feeling of food in my stomach. So it gives my body some energy quickly, but at the same time, my body's going to feel better as a result. And so again, sometimes the ultra processed food option is the best option. Now, the fourth one is if you're struggling with an illness that affects your gut and appetite, uh, these ultra-processed foods can make it much easier to get the energy that you need for your body to function at its best. You know, keep in mind that our immune system takes a hit when we don't have adequate energy. And so getting enough fuel is super important in these cases. You know, with older people, you, you may have seen these Ensure meal replacement drinks that are often given to older people in nursing homes or even in the hospital, or maybe you've been in the hospital and they've given this to you. And it's a highly processed, ultra-processed drink. The purpose is to provide you with energy, with calories that our body needs to function, and protein, and various nutrients, the carbs, some fat, all of those vitamins and minerals. It's able to do that in a way that doesn't uh, aggravate a gut issue or that doesn't make us nauseous if we're struggling with nausea right now, maybe recovering from surgery, or in an older person who maybe has lost their taste for some of these other foods, this gives you a way to provide them with that nutrition that their body needs in a way that's going to serve their body best. Again, sometimes these ultra-processed foods are the best option. 
And finally, just like we want to make sure that we are eating enough, we also don't want to habitually eat more than what our body needs, right? I mean, that's important. That's why we have these, what we call homeostatic mechanisms in the body. We have an appetite regulation system where we have drives, hunger signals that tell us when to eat. We have hormones that tell our body, hey, I need more energy, go, go find something to eat. We also have those the, the, on the other side, those hormones, those mechanisms that say, hey, I've had enough, you can stop eating now. And that prevents us from eating excess energy over and above what our body needs, because we know that can be problematic as well. So not only not eating enough is a problem, eating far too much habitually, not in an individual meal, but habitually, that can also be a problem for our overall health and well-being. So again, understanding that a high amount of these ultra-processed foods in your diet may drive you to eat a bit more than minimally processed. And so we can take that and we can apply that as we structure our meals. We can apply that to certain times of day, certain days based on what our activity levels are, what our needs may be, what our appetite is doing, all of those kinds of things. We can use this information and apply that from that gentle perspective, that that perspective uh, where we're not restricting, we're not uh, throwing food rules in, these shoulds and oughts and need to, and you better do this or you better not do that. We're not bringing that back in. We're just saying, hey, understanding how the body works, I can apply that knowledge to put together uh, meals and snacks that are going to serve my body best in whatever situation I find myself. All right. So that's all I had for this episode. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, struggles, uh, or feel like you could maybe use some guidance from a coach, please don't hesitate to reach out on uh, Instagram. You can find me at intuitive.eating.men or through my website at hopedrivesme.com. That's drives with an S. Sometimes people leave that off. <laughs> so thanks again for listening. And we'll be back with another episode soon. 